chapter number four. Just remain there in your Bibles if you would. I just wanted to um, reiterate a couple of the announcements tonight if you're interested for the men. We're having a leadership class from six to eight o'clock. If you want to learn about leadership in the church, you are invited and encouraged to come to that class. And um, hopefully you'll, if you come, you'll be blessed by being there. I also want to encourage you, um, Robert mentioned February 24th is going to be a special Sunday. We're going to have a baptismal and then an introduction of members. Right now we have six people scheduled to be baptized, and so that's a real encouragement. And uh, I wanted to present that this morning because maybe you're here and you've never been baptized before, and um, you maybe have questions or just have never thought about it as being a uh, part of the process that the Lord puts us through to show our faith and if you'd like to have more information, please uh, contact the office. We also have several families that have come interested in being members. If you've been through the class, um, please fill out the, um, the application form and get that into the office, and we'll get that process before the 24th and be able to introduce you as members. If you would like to become a member and you haven't been through the class, also contact the office, and we'll make sure to schedule a class before the 24th so that you can be a part of that celebration. We're going to turn the whole day into a celebration. So every Sunday is a celebration of sorts, amen? And uh, that Sunday will be no different, but it will just be a little bit on the uh, different side in regards to structure, so we will have a good time that Sunday. Uh, Romans chapter number four, we changed our text a little bit this morning because the first part of Romans four deals more with, with the um, truths that we're gonna be presenting than the last part, of chapter four, but both parts deal with this idea of faith, and, uh, and that's kind of been our, our journey that we've been on for the last four weeks since the new year started is um, faith. What does faith look like? Uh, what, is, what is authentic saving faith, and, and what is that counterfeit faith that doesn't really impact our lives and um, really has no saving power? And we want to be mindful of the fact that saving, saving faith or authentic faith, true faith, is manifested in many ways in our life. It's manifested in, in how we function. Now, somebody who truly has faith in Jesus Christ is not going to live the same way that they lived prior to having faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ is transformative. It, it makes you into a new person. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 uh, says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So faith in Christ is, is transformational. Uh, when a person trusts in him, their whole life is altered, and um, not just from a, a perspective of eternity, but from the reality of how we live our life each day. Uh, when you go to work in the morning, when you wake up and put your clothes on and get ready to go out and face the day, it's different if you have a perspective of faith versus um, any other perspective that, that uh, is out there. We've looked at three things so far in our journey. The first thing was comprehending faith. What does faith look like? And at the end of Romans 4, the Lord gives us the example of Abraham. And we also looked at Hebrews chapter number 11, which gives us the example of several people throughout Scripture who lived an extraordinary life based upon faith in God or faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The definition of faith that we adopted in that first sermon was faith is a strong belief that drives us to extraordinary pursuits and actions. 
It's the strong belief that drives us to extraordinary pursuits and actions. The second week, we talked about what causes faith. We looked at God's provision, God's promises, God's power, and God's perfections. In other words, faith is a result of focusing on God. And um, one, of the, one of the oppositions to faith is when we focus on, on things, circumstances, people, um, we begin to focus on something other than God or other than Christ, and it, it immediately begins to decrease our faith. Um, I remember what the scripture tells us about Peter when he steps out of the boat and he just has this extraordinary faith and he's walking on the water and his focus is entirely on Jesus Christ. And man, he's just doing something that, that is supernatural, something that is beyond human comprehension. But immediately when Peter began to, to notice the waves around him and started to think about, oh my goodness, what's going on here, he immediately began to sink because he began to notice other things other than Jesus Christ. And so sometimes there are times in our life, there are things in our life that are a distraction to our faith. We must always, if we're going to be a people of strong faith, we must be a people who are focused on the promises, the provisions, the power, and the perfections of Christ and not in our own uh, power, our own provision, our our own character. Last week we talked about what characterizes faith or what does faith look like in the end. And uh, there were four things in that as well. Hope, um, somebody who is a, a person who has faith in Christ is going to be a person who is full of hope. Um, you know, a Christian should not be a, a, the cup is half empty, but a Christian should be a cup is, the cup is half full. A Christian should be somebody who is optimistic, who sees life from a perspective of, of not um, fatalism or there's no way that this is ever going to work out. The reality for a Christian is, is there's no circumstance, there's no situation that can't work out for good because we are under the power of our God and he is capable of doing anything. As a matter of fact, he tells us all throughout scripture that there is nothing impossible for our God. And um, if you just simply read through the, the gospels, you'll see all of these miracles that Jesus does from turning water into wine and the beginning of John to the end of John, raising a man from the dead, and then everything in between those two events. Jesus Christ is capable of doing anything, so nothing is impossible for him. I remember growing up, and I I took uh, a karate class for a number of years in my um, teenage years, and and I remember going to that karate class, and one of the things that we were always told we were always punished for doing is if you ever said you couldn't do something, you say, I can't do it, um, you would always be punished by having to do push-ups. And they weren't Christians, and they weren't looking at it from a, a religious perspective. They were simply looking at it from a human perspective. But that principle is a very true principle when it comes to Christians. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's nothing impossible for us. We don't look at life from the same perspective that the world looks at life. I know some of you might be here today and you might be struggling. You might be dealing with a number of different difficulties in life. You might have physical challenges, emotional challenges, spiritual challenges. You, you might, the number of challenges that we face in life are innumerable. You might be facing some of those challenges this morning, but I'm here to tell you that there is hope. 
There is hope in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. We don't have the strength in and of ourselves. You might say, you know what, Pastor John, I've tried everything that there is to overcome this difficulty or to overcome this challenge, and I, I just can't do it. It's just impossible. There's no way to win in this situation. And I'm here to tell you this morning that there is a way to win. And the way to win is not by, by your efforts. It's not by your good deeds. The way to win is by, by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He is the one who is capable. You know what he promises us in his word? He promises us that anyone who places their faith in him, he will come and live inside of them, and he will become the source of their strength. He will become the source of their righteousness. He will become those things for us. And that's what we desire for everybody who is, who is here this morning. We don't, we don't want you to be strong people. We want you to be dependent on a strong person. We don't want you to be super intellectual. We want you to be dependent on somebody who is full of wisdom. We want you to have Jesus Christ living in your heart. We want you to be accepted by God and be in his favor. We want you to be a person that can walk through your day and at the end of the day can look at your day and say, you know something, Lord, thank you so much that you have favored me today with these blessings. That's what we desire for God's people. And that's what God desires for his people. So Christianity is full of hope. Christianity is full of perseverance. It's full of confidence and conviction. These are things that characterize a person of faith in the same way that Abraham was characterized by these things and David and, and Daniel and, and, and a number of Old Testament and, and Paul and New Testament uh, men who uh, followed Christ. Peter, they were characterized by these things. This is true, authentic faith. It is important that we distinguish between authentic faith and that which is not authentic because some people claim to be followers of Jesus and they simply have made a mental uh, assent to the fact that Jesus existed, that he was this great historical figure. But they, they have, um, the scripture talks about that they have accepted the fact, but they've denied the power thereof. In other words, there's no power within their faith. There's no transformation there. Authentic faith doesn't leave us where we're at. Authentic faith takes us to a whole new place. It brings deliverance and salvation. In our text this morning, we find a phrase that I really want to focus on. It's, it's actually all throughout chapter number four, as well as throughout the, the, um, it's throughout the Bible. This phrase is seen in many other passages of scripture. We'll look at a few of them. But I want to talk to you about the credit of faith this morning. We've looked at the comprehension of faith what causes faith, and what characterizes faith. And I want to just spend a few minutes looking at what um, is the credit of faith. What is the credit of faith? We see this phrase throughout the, um, the text here 11 or 12 times. And then it goes back. It's quoting back from Genesis chapter number 12 and chapter number 15. In chapter number 12, God makes Abraham, this extraordinary promise that this insignificant little man is going to become the father of many nations, that his offspring is going to number the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky. And we look at a promise like that, and here's a guy who doesn't have any children of his own, and he's not even capable of having children, and he's made this extraordinary promise that, hey, your children and your children's children are going to be innumerable. It's an extraordinary promise that God made to him. And, and we, might look at that, we might look at our struggles 
in the same way that Abraham might have looked at that struggle and that how is this going to happen? How are we going to do this? And we might even try to fix it on our own like Abraham did with his, with his, handmaid, with his wife's handmaid, Hagar. We might even try to figure it out on our own, which ultimately just causes more, more, more problems, right? Yeah. Or we believe God. And that's what Abraham does. Let, let, let me just read a few times that this phrase is used. Genesis 15 and verse 6, the Bible says, And he believed the Lord. After the Lord says, Go out and count the number of the stars in the sky and the sands in the sea, this will be your offspring. He has no children of his own. And he says, And he believed the Lord, and it was counted or credited to him as righteousness. In our text, in chapter 4 and verse 3, the Bible says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. In verse 9, for we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. In Romans 4.22, this is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. Galatians 3.6 says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then in James 2.23, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. That last phrase is so important and so significant because based upon Abraham's faith, he became a friend of God. Okay, Not based upon Abraham's obedience, not based upon Abraham's own righteousness, not based upon Abraham being perfected, but the Bible says that based upon Abraham's faith, he became a friend of God. This is an extraordinary statement because it means it, 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 it opens up for us this hope that we who are imperfect and ungodly, amen, we, we, we're all there, right? I, I wish that I had time to go back to chapter number three of, what, of, of this same book because it literally says there is, there are no one, there's no one who is righteous. There's no one who is good. You may be sitting here this morning and you may think to yourself, well, no one's as bad as me. Well, yes, we are. Okay, there, there, is no, there is no scale of sinfulness. And in God's eyes, we're all on that same field. We're all sinners by nature, okay? And we all sin by choice. And there's no scale of those, of those sins. All of us are in need of a savior. But, but this, 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 the reality that Abraham became a friend of God based upon faith and not his works causes us to have hope that we can become a friend of God, not based upon our works of righteousness, which we have none, or all of our righteousness are at filthy rags, but based upon faith, we can become a friend of God. We can, we can leave his wrath and enter into his favor based upon trusting and depending on Jesus Christ for what he has done. So this, this phrase for introduction purposes, this phrase that his faith was counted for as righteousness is a statement that brings hope to people who are imperfect and who are ungodly. Listen to what verse number five says in chapter number four. Now to the one, verse number four, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as a, as a due. And the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the, what's that next word there? That justifies the ungodly. That justifies the sinner. 
That's a hopeful statement. That, that statement is, is full of hope because we're all in that, we're all in that boat. We're all, we're all sinners, and we have hope now of salvation because our God justifies the ungodly. Well, you can go over to chapter number five and verse number eight. The Bible talks about verse number six and verse number eight talk about the same thing. But verse number eight, the Bible says, while we were still weak, okay, while we were still um, sinners, God, God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this statement brings hope to those of us who recognize that we are imperfect and we are ungodly and we are undeserving and we are unworthy. This statement is based upon and builds out the new covenant in the New Testament. If you'll turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 10. The old covenant, you're familiar with the old covenant, also known as the Mosaic covenant. The Bible simply said that if you wanted to be righteous, you had to do good things, right? If you guys, if I were to ask you this morning to define the word righteousness, most of you would say it is doing that which is right. Most of us would define righteousness as a work that you perform. It is a righteous act or it is an unrighteous act. The Bible says there's a new covenant that's made with, with, with God's people that is not based upon a righteousness of works, but based upon a righteousness of faith. I'll read to you out of Hebrews chapter number 8, not 10, chapter number 8. The Bible says in verse number 6, but, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he, would, for he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the old covenant that I have made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Okay, what was the old covenant that he's talking about here? He's talking about the covenant of the law. And the law said, if you keep my commandments, you will be considered righteous and you will enter into my favor. But the problem with that covenant is that nobody could keep the commandments that God required of man. Man was incapable of obeying the things that God commanded of them. And every man fell short in his own way. It wasn't like anybody was less falling short, we fell short in different ways. Somebody, somebody once offered the description of, of how the different levels of sin don't really matter by describing it as people who are trying to jump over the Grand Canyon. If somebody could run far faster than I could and jump as far as they can, they might land further out into the Grand Canyon, but if we all jumped over the Grand Canyon, we would all end up where? We would all end up at the bottom because it doesn't really matter how far you get into the Grand Canyon, you're not going to be able to make the leap over the Grand Canyon. As a matter of fact, many, very few people would talk about how far you made it afterwards. What they would talk about was the fact that you didn't make it because that's truly what matters. That's the idea of our sinfulness. We all might be able to, someone might be able to run faster in here spiritually than I can. 
Someone might be smarter and more intellectual than I am, but listen, if we're building our, our, a foundation for our friendship with God and our relationship with God based upon what we have done, it is no different than trying to jump over the Grand Canyon. Every single one of us is going to fall short of the glory of God. It is impossible to reach that standard. So what does the Lord do? The Lord says he developed a second covenant. The first covenant was faulty and simply this, nobody was able to keep it. And that's all of us. He says it, he says it in this way. Um, for they did not, the end of verse number nine, for they did not continue in my covenant. Um, in other words, they did not obey the covenant. They didn't, they didn't keep it. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The Bible says that the new covenant is not, is not built upon the works that we have done, but the new covenant is built upon the grace of God in which he forgives our sins, amen? We love the idea of forgiveness. We love the idea of mercy, the fact that God does not hold against us the sins that we commit. That is what mercy is. It's when God doesn't give us what we deserve. I'm thankful this morning that we can be beneficiaries of this mercy, this is based upon this, this new covenant that we have. I want to look at just three things this morning for the remainder of our time that flow out of this idea of being counted that Abraham's faith or Abraham's believing God is, is counted towards him as righteousness. It is, it is as if Abraham was perfectly righteous Okay, that doesn't make a lot of sense because he made a lot of mistakes along the way, didn't he? He sinned a lot on the journey. He lies about his wife. He goes into a place he's not supposed to go. All this journey things, Abraham, he, he, he has a relationship with his wife's handmaiden and, and Ishmael is born. And there's a lot of sins along this journey. We wouldn't look at Abraham's life and say, wow, what a righteous man, unless we looked at it and said, if his righteousness is based upon faith, he is very righteous. Because righteousness is not built on anymore in the New Testament, built upon our goodness, but it's now built upon the faith that we have in Christ. So let's look at this word counted. Again, we find it 11 or 12 times in the fourth chapter here in our text. What does it mean to be counted? How is faith counted to us as righteousness? The word counted here just literally just carries with it the idea of an inventory, Doing an inventory, it's an, an accounting term. It's to, to compute something or to calculate something or, or to, rec, to, uh, to reckon something. It, it's a weight. If you can imagine a, a scale, an old-fashioned scale, right? Uh, on one side is, is, is something and on the other side is, is something. And they're, and, they're, and they're weighing each other out, okay? So for some people, it's our, our good works versus our bad works. And so you put your good works on one side and your bad works on the other side. And, and if, if the good works outweigh the bad works, then you're a friend of God, right? 
And if your bad works outweigh your good works, you're not the friend of God, you're the enemy of God. Okay, this is not what, this is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that if we're under the law, that God doesn't even recognize our good works, he only recognizes our bad works. And we know that's true because speed down the road and watch somebody stop you and they won't even mention that you didn't speed down the road yesterday. Okay? They won't mention that you haven't sped down the road for the last five years, but what they will notice is that you sped down the road that time. It's because that's all their job is. Their job is to correct wrongdoing. The law's job is to correct or point out wrongdoing. It's not to reward good deeds. It's to expose bad deeds. So if we're under the law, we are, um, we are weighed not good deeds versus bad deeds, but bad deeds versus nothing. Okay? This is the idea of this, of this accounting, grace uh, being, uh, or, or um, our faith being accounted to us as righteousness. Okay? It's a measuring, a measuring between uh, something and something else. In Daniel 5 and verse 27, the Lord is speaking to uh, Belteshazzar, the king, and he says, you have been weighed in the balance and been found wanting. In other words, you have been weighed, your life has been weighed and you've been found to, have, to be lacking. And we, we're all in that boat. Dan, Belteshazzar was not by himself. We all fall into that situation where we are weighed in the balance and we are found to be wanting. And under the law, all of us are found to be wanting. The balance that we have to compare ourselves against, according to Romans 3.23, is for all have sinned, our sins are over here, and fallen short of the glory of God, the glory of God is over here. We all fall short of the glory of God because the glory of God demands us to be perfect. The Bible tells us in James 2 and verse 10 that if we are dependent on the law to make us righteous, we are subject or accountable to keeping the whole law perfectly, which we're not capable of doing. So there's an accounting that's going to be done. We're going to be weighed against something. We're either going to be weighed against the law and all of our works are going to be weighed against the law and we're going to be found to be, to be wanting or to be lacking. We're going to be found to be guilty. And we all have to face God on judgment day to be weighed, to be, to be accounted, to be held accountable for what we have done. Galatians 5, verse 3 and 4 says, I testify again to every man that, ex that accepts circumcision or that accepts works, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You, have set, you are severed from Christ, you who would desire to be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. In other words, those of you who would desire to be in favor with God based upon your works, you have been severed from Christ. In other words, you're not going to benefit from the things that Christ did, but you are now accountable for yourself and you will, found, you will be found an enemy of God and will be judged. At the end of the world, we all will face this judgment the judgment will be based upon one of two things. We'll either be subject to being scaled against the law of works. The Bible says in verse number four, actually go uh, chapter number three in verse 27, the Bible says, then what becomes of our boasting, it is, it is excluded by what kind of law? 
by the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. So there are two different laws by which we can be weighed. We can be scaled at the end of the day. One law is the law of works. Whatever we do will be scaled against the law that God gives us, the commandments in his word, and that's how we'll be determined to be guilty. The other law is the law of faith. And this law is different because this law doesn't demand works to be perfect, but this law demands an unwavering trust, a faith that is life-changing. So we're going to be counted at the end. We want to be counted righteous, and we're not going to be counted righteous by our works, but we're going to be counted righteous by faith. The second term that it relates to this term as well is the term to be credited, to be credited something. It's, again, it's, it's a legal term. It's also an um, accounting term. If, you have, if we have any accountants here, you understand there's a ledger sheet and there's debits and there's credits. And this is, this is that idea. There's a credit that's being placed on an account that is meant to offset a debit. Okay? And you have entries all throughout on that, on that balance sheet offsetting each other. Okay? In the Old Testament, you had good works and bad works. You had law and, and, and your bad works. This was your balance sheet. Under the, new co- under the new covenant, the Bible says that faith is credited to us as righteousness. Okay? Faith is not the fulfillment of God's righteous demands. Okay? Faith is not the fulfillment of God's righteous demands, but faith is accepted by God as the fulfillment of those demands. Faith is a grace that we receive because we are unable to keep what God requires of us. We are unable to perform the things that he expects of us. So faith is a grace. If you go to um, verse 16 of chapter number four, it says that is why it depends upon faith in order that the promise may rest upon grace. So if it's built around faith, It's also built around grace because grace is unmerited, undeserved favor. God credits to our account, based upon the presence of faith, a righteousness that is not our own righteousness. It is is his perfect righteousness. God credits that to our account. And what's amazing about this credit, if you were looking at a ledger sheet, this credit would offset all other debits past, present, and future debits. Every time that you have committed a sin, there is a record kept of that sin by God and by the law. However, when a person places their faith in Jesus Christ, there is a credit that is placed to their account that erases, it's it's even better than the credit that leaves them there, it erases those debits that were made against our account and it puts a credit that offsets all of those debits. This is what salvation is. Salvation is not men working towards righteousness. Salvation is men trusting in Jesus Christ to credit them his righteousness. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, I'm gonna turn there. So I don't misquote it. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. And that's not the verse that I wanted. 
No, it was. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. It is his grace in which he bestows upon us an unmerited favor, an unmerited righteousness that he gifts us, he grants to us, and then he, and then he counts, he, he counts. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing because he is the judge. He, he wrote the ledger statement. And he, he counts that faith as righteousness even though our debit sheet is full of sins. He counts it. He, as the judge, counts. He, he inventories and he sees that faith there. And that faith is a credit that overrides all other debits. Whatever is in your life, whatever you have done, there is a, there is a credit that can be applied to your account. Not based upon overcoming your evil deeds by good deeds, but by placing your faith in Jesus Christ by trusting him. And, and as you trust him, he brings, he brings forgiveness and he brings mercy and he brings deliverance. He brings salvation to you. And your life will never be the same. Your purposes will never be the same again because Jesus Christ has come to live within you. He grants us this gift and he accepts us based upon the gift that he granted us. God accepts the ungodly and God accepts the unrighteous, not obviously based upon their godliness or righteousness, but on the basis of their faith. And this acceptance by faith is not something that is merited, it is something that is credited. It's a gift. It's like somebody going to your bank and putting money in your account, amen? It's like somebody going to your bank and putting money into your account. Amen? <laughs> All right. I know we like that idea, right? That is what it's like. Jesus Christ comes and he credits your account in such a way to offset all the other things that you have ever done and ever will do. You say, Pastor John, that sounds like a license to do whatever I want. It is a license, it is a license to serve the Lord. Your heart changes. There's a transformation there. You no longer desire to do the things that, that put Jesus on the cross, but you desire to serve him. But there is no condemnation for those who are trusting in Jesus Christ. You don't have to walk around in fear of failure or making a mistake, okay? You don't have to. Jesus Christ has satisfied all of that. Matter of fact, he says here in this text, in verse number 15, for the law brings wrath. But, but watch this phrase. This is what faith does. Where there is no law. There is no law to those who are people of faith. There is no law. Can you break a law that doesn't exist? You can't. There is no law to people of faith. We have been set free. We have not been set free to live according to our flesh. We have been set free to live according to Christ. He is our life. In him we have this righteousness. 
and in him we have new life. If you have time, read Romans 6 verses 1 through 5. Let me, say, let me read this to you, Romans 4, verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are counted, his wages are not counted, his wages are not credited as a gift, but as a due. And the one who does not work, but believes in him, puts his faith in him, trusts in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted to him as righteousness. Now watch this, just as David who speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not account his sin. Man, folks, that's what our hope is this morning. Our hope is that God will not account against us our sin. That when he does an inventory of our life, he will not hold against us all of our failures based upon a single credit applied to our account by his son, Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection. All of my sins have been paid for, but not just that, I have been granted the gift of eternal life and righteousness because of the indwelling spirit of God living within me. This faith that is credited as righteousness is a gift from God that is based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you read chapter number three, verses 22, down to the end of the chapter, you will see this. Those who have faith in Christ, for all have sinned, verse 23, and fall short of the glory of God, and there is no distinction. It says, and all, and, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's how we get the sacrifice of Christ applied to our sinful record is by trusting and resting in him. Faith is an an evidential gift, not a meritorious act. Faith is proof that we are the children of God and are indwelt by the Spirit of God. In other words, faith is something that when you have the Spirit of God, you have faith. It's something that he gifts us in the process of renewing us. The new birth in John chapter number three. And it's credited to us as righteousness. It's credited to our account as perfection. It's the ungodly being made perfect through Christ by faith. That's how it happens. That's, that's, listen, that's the, that's the hope that every person in here has. It is. And the Bible says in this text, if you try to work towards it, your work will be counted against you. But if you trust Jesus for it, your work, your works will not be counted against you, but your faith will be counted as righteousness. Faith is the greatest credit that can ever be placed on a balance sheet because it is a credit that covers all other debits on that balance sheet. The last word I want to look at this morning for just the remaining few minutes is simply um, we're confirmed. We're confirmed. The Bible says that by faith we are justified. In chapter 5 and verse 1, therefore being justified by faith. This is the legal piece of this. We've been counted, we've been weighed, we've been, we've been scaled, we've been held accountable against uh, the law or against faith and grace. 
We've been credited this faith as a gift, and then lastly, we are confirmed or we are justified. We are justified. Justification is simply the reason why we are counted innocent. Why are we counted innocent? We are counted innocent because of the finished work of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. We are counted, we are, we are justified or that, the application of that truth is justified by our faith. In other words, that our faith justifies or confirms that we are children of God, that we have been saved and we are being sanctified. The verdict is not guilty. The verdict is justified based upon the work of Christ and Christ alone. It is his sacrifice on the cross for our sins and the imputation of his righteousness that makes us righteous. Let me read to you Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham... What blessings is he talking about? He's talking about these promises. That in Abraham, the, that, that the blessings of Abraham might come to us Gentiles so that we might receive the promises, the promised spirit through faith. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. The verdict of innocence is justifiable based upon the faith that God has given us. And then lastly, the verdict is final. This is a legal verdict by the judge. The moment a person places their faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says they are justified in God's eyes. The presence of faith in Christ in an individual is seen as if it were perfect righteousness in the eyes of God. It is credited by God, the accountant and the judge. It is credited by God as perfect righteousness, even though we know that we are imperfect and ungodly. But that is, that is God's system of accountability, and God is the ultimate judge, and therefore we will be held accountable according to his standards. Remember this, faith isn't a substitute for righteous living. It is a gracious gift from God that brings salvation to a fallen, ungodly world. Remember, according to Galatians 2.16, that no man is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So my encouragement to you this morning is this. Don't build a foundation of favor with God based upon what you have done. It will only lead to discouragement. It will lead to failure, and it will lead to greater sin. The law simply awakens sin within us. You become more sinful as you try to please God in your flesh. But, but also, let me assure you, let me comfort your heart. If you're here with us this morning and you've never experienced the deliverance that comes, that, that favor with God, that friendship with God that you've perhaps sought your whole life through your works, listen, it's a free gift it's a free gift, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a free gift. He's holding it out to you. He's holding it out to you not so that you will work for it and earn it, but he's holding it out to you so that you will embrace it by faith, 
that you'll trust that everything that Jesus Christ did was personally for you and that in Christ's death and resurrection, your sins were forgiven and you have been made righteous. Listen, this is not an easy thing to accept because most of us live in this world of either wanting to be, wanting to be discouraged or depressed or refusing to accept that we're new. The Lord says that when, when he died, we died with him. Our sins were placed in the grave. Is there, is there a greater penalty for any sin that you can commit than death? That's the ultimate penalty, right? If you believe in your heart, Romans 6 says this, if you believe in your heart that you died with Jesus, that means your sins have all been taken care of. You're dead. But, but then you're now alive. And you're not alive, but he's alive in you. And that his life is now manifested in you which makes you righteous, not on your own merits, but on his merits, on him living inside of you. Listen, there's no greater hope than that. If you're here this morning and you feel unworthy, you feel undeserving, you're in a great place because all you have to do is acknowledge that and come before the Savior of the universe and he will receive you and he will transform you. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1 and verse 9, if we will confess our sins, if we will confess that we are sinners, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How would you like righteousness to be credited to your account? Not your righteousness. How would you like God's righteousness to be credited to your account? Listen, it can happen today, but it only happens by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the gift of faith, for the hope of salvation and deliverance, even for for all of us who are fallen and sinful and, and recognize that and see that. We pray, Lord God, that you will give the gift this morning to anyone who is here that's not a believer, that you will embrace them and cause them, Lord God, to believe.